Trigger warning. The podcast you're about to listen to may contain sexual and violent acts committed against men, women, and children. If such acts offend you in any way, please do not listen any further. This podcast was made for an audience of 18 years and older and contains mature and explicit content. Also, this podcast may also contain a high level of profanity and explicit language. If such things offend you in any way, shape, or form, please do not listen to the podcast any further. This is your last trigger warning. If anything that I mentioned above offends you, please do not listen. Thank you. Warning. The cases that I talk about here are under the assumption that the individuals that are accused allegedly committed these crimes unless they have been convicted in court for the tri- for the crimes that they have been charged with. This is by no means me making any kind of accusations whatsoever. I am simply commenting on news articles and stories that have been shared with me through individuals who may or may not have experienced these said stories. This is not fact. This is purely my opinion. Unless they have been through court and they have been convicted. Please understand that moving forward. Thank you. Hey everybody, this is Jeremy with the Man Apart Podcast. This is going to be episode 37, titled The Bethel Girls, From Helpless to Healing, Brittany's Story. So I was introduced to Brittany Rainbolt by Sabrina Young, somebody that I've interviewed on the podcast telling her story at Bethel and at other TTI institutions that she was at as well. And me and Sabrina have become friends over time. We help each other out with our TikTok accounts, promoting each other on Facebook, and just get to know somebody who's really a very passionate individual who wants to help other TTI survivors in their healing journey. So Sabrina reached out to me one day, and she said, Hey, I got a group of people that went to Bethel Academy at different times than I did, and they want to share their story on podcasts. And I want to know if you're willing to let them be on your podcast. I said, I'd love that. That'd be great. That's when we interviewed John and uh, Dan and Dave. And there's other people that are coming up soon down the line as well. And then I got a hold of Brittany. We talked. She shared her story. And she came a little bit after Sabrina left from the Bethel Girls Academy in Loosedale, Mississippi. In the interview, you're going to hear just how intense it was to be a 16 or 15 year old girl in Loosedale, Mississippi at the Bethel Girls Academy and how much of a heinous monster William Knott was. I've covered William Knott on the last episode as well with the Bethel Boys and he will be a figure that comes up repeatedly in a lot of these stories. He was in the news recently as well for for another school that he started after he left Bethel and I know that he is serving 23 years in prison for child abuse on multiple counts. So Brittany is going to share one of those stories and she's also going to share other things as well. It's not just going to be about William Knott in this interview. It starts out a little bit rough 
you know, you know somebody's first time on a podcast and trying to tell their story. But as she gets going, it just she just speaks effortlessly, flawlessly. And she tells a very interesting story that kept me interested the whole time through. And also I co-hosted with Sabrina Young because she offered to help. And I took that offer immediately. No hesitation, no thought to it. I said, yes, of course you can be on the podcast. She's going to be helping me on some future interviews as well. So I hope that you found her entertaining, you know, or not entertaining, but very informative because somebody being a former member a former survivor of the TTI, she has a knowledge that I never will have. She's experienced a lot of the things that these individuals have experienced. And so with that, I'll have, this is my interview with Brittany Rainbolt, co-hosted with Sabrina Young. Thank you. This is my interview with Brittany Rainbolt and co-hosting with Sabrina Young, both members of the Bethel Girls Academy. Our former former students of the Bethel Girls Academy, I should say. Sabrina, can you explain a little bit about what the Bethel Girls Academy was? All right. So Bethel Girls and Boys Academy was founded in the 80s by Herman Fountain Sr. in Loosedale, Mississippi. It was shut down in 1988, um, and there was a raid, and DCFS came in and took all the children. Herman Fountain then reopened the program in 1998, starting with the boys' home first. He then um, reopened up the girls' home. I was one of the first girls to arrive at Bethel. I spent about almost two and a half years uh, in, in most with uh, Bethel. Um, I went there twice. I was there for a year and four months the first time. I arrived when I was 11, left a couple months before my 13th um, birthday, um, was able to go home for Christmas. And then after my adopted mother passed away, um, I was sent back to Bethel where I stayed there again for about a year and a half, a year and three months um, before I was kicked out and then sent to another program. Um, Brittany and I both attended Bethel, but we did not attend Bethel at the same time. Um, I met Brittany through our Bethel girls discussion group that, um, is on Facebook. And I noticed that I was really, other than some of the girls talking in our discussion group, nobody was really getting out there and sharing their stories. And so I asked the girls, would you like to be a part of this? And would you like, um, opportunity to, um, share your story on Jeremy Bigner's podcast, uh, man apart podcast. And Brittany said, yeah, let's do it. So Brittany, what was your home life like before arriving to Bethel? Did you come from like a religious family? What was that like? And why were you sent away to Bethel? Well, um, I started school. I went to um, St. Mary's Bryantown. Um, it's in Bryan, like Bryantown, Maryland, um, from kindergarten to second grade. Um, I went to public school for the first time in third grade. Um, up until like seventh grade Christmas break. And, um, I guess I was starting to act out a little bit. So my parents were, you know, they separated when I was a baby. So I went to go live with my dad and ended up going to another Christian Academy. Um, so I, I've been back and forth between Catholic and Christian, you know, schools and churches my whole life, basically. Um, my dad ended up passing away when I was 14 um at, that was in November so um I started acting out after that um so my mom had moved us um from kind of like the suburbs to Chesapeake Beach 
Um, and everybody always said, like, never move there because there's nothing to do but get in trouble. And, um, you know, we're right on the water. There's nothing to do but basically drugs and, and get in trouble, really. Um, yeah. And that, that kind of proved true. Um, I was sneaking out. I was sneaking out of the house. I started smoking pot um, and I was just like really rebellious. Um, I just felt like my dad was gone and, you know, we had an up and down relationship and my mom had a new boyfriend and I just felt like, I guess I wasn't getting the attention that I needed or, you know, I just, I was lost basically. So I guess my mom didn't know what to do with me anymore. Um, So she found Bethel. And what was funny is I had the, um, Sabrina, do you remember the bounty hunters, the family at church that would come get the girl? Yes, I do. They pushed so, on that because they would make money off of that. It's legal yes. kidnapping. It's legal so, kidnapping, mom, folks, yeah. for anyone who's listening. is legal benefits trafficking of children. So what is the day before I lived on a dead end street, I saw that van, their van come down my street. And I was like, who is that? But they left. So it's six o'clock. The, morning, the covers are ripped off of me. I was only in a t-shirt and underwear. So I grabbed my car. I'm like, what is going on? They zip tied me, made me get dressed, zip tied. I'm like asking my mom, like, what's going on? Why are you doing this? You know, I'm like, she's like crying. She was like, I'm sorry. It'll make you better. I don't know what else to do. My uncle was living with us. Um, and I'm like, like, don't let her do this. So, um, they zip tied me. My mom had just a little bag packed. Um, and then off we went and going up the highway, my mom was like, I could see her in her car. Actually, she was taking the exit to work and we were right beside her mm. and she was crying. And I could see her drive off and we were going in separate directions and I just lost it. And they kept me zip tied all the way to Tennessee when we stopped overnight to stay the night. And they're like, um, cause they brought, or my age, I guess, to make me feel more safe. But yeah. they were like, which daughter, which daughter was that that they brought? Do you remember? don't remember actually, but she was around my age. I think she was a year older than me. I was 15 at the time. So what it was that been? It, what, was that Bubba and Dodie's daughter or Herman? No, no, no. The bounty hunter family. Oh, okay. All right. Bounty hunter. Okay. Yeah. Go ahead. They brought their daughter, I guess, to make me feel more secure about them zip tying me and putting me in a weird van yeah yeah two days to get to bethel you know when i was zip tied the first day but when we stopped i guess in tennessee they were like well unzip tie you but don't run away i'm like i'm a teenager i don't know where i am what like where am i going to run off to right so they they let me stay not the next day which was you know better but still not Great, but when I got to, you know, when I pulled up to 66 Victory Ranch Road, I'm like, what is this, please? And I met Bubba for the first time, and he told me that I'd, I'd be there for a year. And my heart fell to my chest, and I kind of just disassociated. Like, holy what, what year was this when you arrived? How old were you, and what year was this? I was 15. It was January 3rd, 2003, I believe. Mm. Wow. Okay. What, what was the, uh, now when you were being transported and everything like that, how did they make sure to, to prevent you from escaping and everything besides, you know, zip, t- you know, taking off the zip ties and everything when y'all stopped for the night or anything like that, where, where did they, where did they keep you at? Well, we stayed at a hotel 
and they also had like their younger son with them. So what he did, he just, um, he put, I can't remember what it was, but it was something on the door. And then he put a chair in front of the door. So basically if I tried to get out and I was on the bed closest away from the door, there were two beds and I slept with the daughter. Um, so I guess, you know, he figured, you know, he would hear me if I tried to like get out. Right. Wow. So yeah, tell that's... us about what your first day was like at Bethel. Um, well, we got there um, in the afternoon. Um, I remember I was taken in after I met with Bubba. Um, I asked if I could call my mom. He said no. I couldn't call her or talk to her until I was off of watch. He explained that. He gave me the handbook, memorized the whole thing, um, memorized the rules and you know, basically comply with everything before I could get off watch and get my first phone call. And he said that could take a week to a month. So I was taken, um, you know, out of the area into the dorms, put in that little room and told to strip and I would get, you know, the uniforms. Was that the isolation um, room off to the right when you first go down the hallway? Yes. Okay. Yep. Okay. And so I asked if I could keep my makeup. They let me keep like my eyeshadow and that was really it. But <clears throat> um, so, yeah. And then I was taken to the orientation room um, and then I was given, you know, my watch leader, which was Tabitha. She, and I was her first watch girl, um, you know, having them tell me the rules you have to raise your hand ask permission to speak permission to sit down permission to pee permission to do whatever was insane to me and i was always hard-headed and pretty you know like you're not going to tell me what to do kind of thing but yeah. i just yeah. kind of like tried to see where this was going to go until you know they tell you you have to exercise morning noon and night and when you first wake up and like, I just remember like to this day, I hate the smell of kerosene because, you know, the dorm room was so big, it got cold and it was January and they had the kerosene heater in there. And I just, to this day, it brings back bad memories of the first night. I just, the morning I, the next morning I woke up, I just couldn't believe that I thought it was a dream. I'm like, no, this is real. Like it was insane. I just couldn't believe that that was my reality. Like, I'm like, this shit only happens in movies, like a lifetime yeah. movie. So what was yeah. it like the morning after your first day when you woke up in the orientation room? Because I remember there was a light that they kept on all night. Yes, um, the fluorescent light. The fluorescent oh, light. And the buzzing. Yes, the buzzing from the lights. It, it was like, it's crazy how, like, you, I get triggered for you know by certain stuff um you know just because of that and yeah. it's like even when you try to suppress these memories it still comes back but they turn the lights on you know i think it, i don't remember if it was five or six o'clock we had to get it was up like five o'clock for orientation yeah. six o'clock for the rest of the dorm it was yeah it was something like that something crazy early so um i was told to get up um you know i had to go to the bathroom you know, brush my teeth, all that, get dressed, make my bed, you know, hospital corners. Mm -hmm. It better be tight enough to bounce a quarter off of. Yep. And the top better be hand length or else they're tearing your bed up. You got to do it again. So I had never made a bed like that. So I'm like, 
like, what do I do? Tabitha went out the room and I'm whispering to the girl below me because I was in a top bunk at first. And I'm like, how do I do this? So she showed me real quick and I was like, oh my goodness, like this is insane. But so then they tried to make me exercise and I was like, no, no, I'm not. So she Tabitha screamed in my face and was like, um, and I just want to say, I hold nothing against Tabitha because yeah, they pinned us, Bethel, they pinned us yeah, they against feel. each other. They yeah. do. They yeah. give you leadership and try to make you feel like you're part of the family, but they make yeah. you do stuff to the other girls. Yeah. And if you don't do it, then it's your ass. So I love Tabitha to this day. And I don't, I already told her, I don't hold nothing against her. She did what she had to do. Yeah. We were so. all surviving in those places. They were really good about pinning the kids against each other so that way they could keep their hands clean um you exactly. know, so it's, it's them beating the shit out of each other not you know us even though they were beating the shit out of us too um but right. it's very important for listeners to understand that they did pin it was like kids fight club like bethel bad girls club had nothing on the bethel girls i'm telling you not at all nothing i got yeah. i got two questions uh Brittany. yeah so um when you first got there and everything they said they they allowed you to keep your eye your eye shadow and everything like that did you already, did your mom already have like a, like a set of bags packed for you and everything like that for when they transported well, you over there? She got, she had a bag and it was just with like night, a pair of night clothes and uh, clothes for the next day only for travel because they told her I wasn't going to wear my own clothes there. So it was not a big bag. It was just one bag with, you know, a set of night clothes and a set of clothes for the next day. So how, so how, so you just kept your you, you kept your eyeshadow you like your makeup with you on you on your person at that time I just I'm just curious it was just yeah. a question I was just curious about okay well um, I think when you I think I got my eyeshadow back after I got off orientation after I got off watch when it's like right, a big he's asking heads. like how did you get it to the program like was it in the bag your mom packed okay. or was it in your purse no. yeah I just had my purse with me okay player. Um, they, yeah, they only let me keep my eyeshadow, but it was after watch when I got it. Okay. And another question I have, uh, when you, when they were trying to get you to do exercises and everything, what kind of exercises were they trying to make y'all do? Yeah. Well, yeah, there's a whole story to that. So he wanted me, they call it, but it's a jumping jack. <laughs> so um, when you're on watch, you have to exercise in the morning, um, like in the midday, and then you have to exercise with everybody after school. Everybody after school have to, has to exercise for an hour ERPC. for PT. Yeah. So, um, but when you're on watch, you have to do it like more than them. So I told, I told her, no, she was trying to scream at me, tell me to do it. And I was like, no. So Bubba came in and had everybody in orientation start exercising, you know, and they were pissed at me and he thought that, you know, that would make me do it. And I said, no, um, so then he called William Knott. So, what? <clears throat> yeah, they, so they... Um, Can you explain they kept, who William Knott is real quick, briefly? Yes. He, okay. was, he was one of the drill sergeants that was at the boys' home. Um, he was very aggressive, very physical. He was, he was like, a, he was a monster. He would, you know, punish everybody. You know, if you weren't listening or somebody was a problem, that's who would they call to handle it. Yeah. So I've, I've actually heard of William Knott in the previous interview, in the interview I did with the Bethel boys. And I've heard about it from Sabrina and other people that were there at Bethel as well. And I've actually seen news, news reports, news, uh, like actual news videos on him and how he acted 
uh, right around toward the end before he went to jail and everything like that. And I can tell just from his mannerisms and his behaviors, he was a very quick to be aggressive type individual, quick to anger. Um, I, I, you know, from what y'all described about his character, when he, how he treated y'all, I, I can a hundred percent believe what y'all are saying to be true about him. Just, just on the, on the very limited things I've seen of him. And keep in mind, yeah. most of these podcasts that we've done so far with Je- Jeremy Bigner, um, even though I was at the, in the program at Bethel with John Moody, um, I wasn't there when Dan, Dan, Dan Bowser was there or when Brittany was there. So we're all, it's all connected, similar ties. I mean, how could we all be lying if we all have similar stories and connect the truth? So I just want listeners to be yeah. aware of that also. Yeah. Yeah. It was, um, so um, when he got there, cause they kept me in the, in the office until he got there. Um, he picked me up by my neck, dragged me out the back through the kitchen. Um, to you remember that little fake koi pond in the garden? Yep. So he threw me in that and mind you, it's January and it does get cold in Mississippi. Oh, oh yeah. Yeah, it does. It does. It does the yeah. The, the grass was frozen. It was still early morning. Um, he threw me in that, kept dunking me in it. And so I couldn't breathe at some point. So he was um, trying so, to drown you in it. Right. So then he, you. Right. Um, so I kept screaming that I couldn't breathe. And finally, after I don't even know how long it was. It felt like forever. He picked me up, um, threw me on, you know, it was a gravel dirt road, the whole driveway. And he made me roll. And when I wouldn't roll, he'd kick me in my head, in my back, in my stomach, all over my body. So I had to roll like all the way down to the tree line, which you know how long that is. I Like I would try like not to roll. Like I tell him, you know, like I'd scream, stop, you're hurting me. Okay. I'll exercise everything. And he just kept kicking me and kicking me and kicking me. Then he made me roll in the grass. This went on for almost four hours. And when I was done, like I was dizzy. I could barely stand. I know I had a concussion. I was seeing stars. I was crying. Um, and you know, you only get five minute showers unless it's Saturday for yeah. 10 minutes, for five minutes for you could shave, five minutes to shower. Well, I was so bloody and dirty and just wet and disgusting that, you know, Bubba told me, you know, take as long as I want in the shower. And then called my mom and said, I, you know, I was being unruly. I wouldn't exercise, but they handled it. And mm. to where, like, when I finally got home and talked to my mom about it, she told me that he just basically said, like, he screamed and yelled at me and made me just exercise longer um, for disobeying him. Like, my mom had no idea, you know, because they monitor your phone call. Mm-hmm. They'll hang the yeah. phone call up. Yeah, they listen in the office. You know, we're always on the phone in the dorm. So you could see the button that said office. They were always on the call with you. And if you tried to say anything about the abuse, they'd hang your call up. Yep. If you tried to write it in a letter, you cannot seal your letters. They'll open it. They have to read everything before you send it out. There was no way that you could tell anybody what was going on at the time. No way. And I yeah. tried so many times. I would stay in trouble because I would write about that. I'm like, you want me to write a letter? I'm going to write a letter. And they'd never mail my letters out. And then one yep. time I actually wrote a will on what, because I thought I was going to die 
there. Like I had been in the program so long. I was like, I'm just going to die in these places. And so I wrote a will and they actually mailed it out. And then my aunt mailed a letter back and was like, you need to suck it up buttercup. And you know, you were a bad kid and you know, gaslighting me and all this shit and how I need to get saved and find Jesus. So yeah, it's ridiculous going on these people make it seem like it's so you know it's so great that we're just some unruly kids that this is the only way to help us but they hide the abuse because they're a christian entity like yeah it's like oh they're a christian or catholic organization oh this has to be good yeah you can't be abusing children in the name of the lord you know you can't you're you're beating children into submission let me just say this if beating your child was all it took to get them in line why would you waste three thousand dollars to send them to the troubled teen industry when you could just beat them for free look my it doesn't work it doesn't work my mom took out a $20,000 loan to send me there. And because I was only there eight months and not a year, Bubba said he would not send the rest of the money back to my mother in case I had to come back. Wow. Which, is fraud, still, which is fraud, which is fraud, which is fraud because they're supposed to help you and you got more traumatized. You did not exactly. get the help you needed. It's fraud. I, my mom still paid on that loan until the day she died three years ago. Oh my goodness. Jesus, man. Uh, Good God. I know that, uh, and it's hard for people that are in the church and everything as well to, to understand these concepts because it's, it's so like almost brainwashed into us into Christianity that, uh, you know, spare the rod, spoil the child and everything, but there's a big difference between disciplining your child and just beating a child. Child abuse. If I did half the things that they did to us at Bethel, to my children to the extent of what they did i'd be rotting in a prison cell and my children would be taken away why is it still legal for this crap to still be going on right because they operate under the guise of uh of church and state laws and everything and that's crazy but speaking of brainwashing so you know while you're there you can't listen to secular music meaning just mainstream music you have to listen to like christian or gospel music you cannot talk about anything you did to get there you can't talk about your past what you've done unless you were sharing it in like our testimony, testimony. not at not at church but our little we had bible groups during the week yeah. with just the girls you have to you had to run it by you know bubba before you could say anything. And if you did talk about it, you got in trouble. So I was so, my mom, she had a mouth like a sailor, God love her. Um, when I got home, when I got off that plane and got into my mom's truck on the way home, she's saying, F this, F that. Like, I was so brainwashed at this point. I was scared. Like, I was scared of my home life. I called and asked to come back. Oh, my God. Oh, wow. Yes. And then a month later, I, a month later, I told my mom what I did, you know, like, cause I was slowly letting the abuse come out. And like for years until 2020 episode came out with William, not called a boy named Lucas, my mom. And she did not believe some of the stories I told her. She thought she told me she was crying profusely. Mm. I was exaggerating about the abuse. And I told her that William, not did the, you know, dunked me in the pond to where I couldn't, did all that stuff to me. I had his boot print at bruises all over my body for months. It, it was almost two months before it went away. Oh my God. She, I showed her our Bethel page and 
um, what everybody was remember when that came out, we were all writing about it on our, our private Bethel page. And my, I let my mom read some of it and she just like kept saying how, she, how she just did not know how they came. Mm. Like it wasn't like that. And, you know, she just cried and cried and cried because she was so sorry. And, you know, it's it's just you know it's like parents don't know they sell this dream about oh we can fix your child we'll get, give them all the tools and resources they need to be a proper young lady or young man you know to get on in life and in the most best way and it's oh they totally sell a bunch opposite. of bullshit they totally yeah. do. they're good they're shit they're goody they're good salesmen is what they, are. they are salesmen yep. and you see down here in Louisiana there's not a lot of these places that I've seen or heard about even before find out about the TTI, but I've, but there are similar programs that have done, that have the same effects, but it's with adults. Uh, there's a lot of the, uh, there's like teen drug, challenge drug. is in, yeah. is in Louisiana, actually teen challenge. I have to go, is another I have to go look program. them up, mm-hmm. but I found, uh, there was a lot of, uh, like kind of un- like, they're not, they're not completely unknown, but they're not, widely known it's a lot of like drug rehab places for uh for people as well like grown men and grown women mm-hmm. and there was one i mean I, I remember like my first realization of how these places were i had a cousin who was in his like mid-30s that went to one of these places literally about 10 miles down the road from my house come to find out from another podcast that the guy that was running it was uh also a a former convict who went to prison for uh fraud and all these different other type of uh like like white collar crimes and uh he he popped up over here as a as as uh, a minister online you know an online minister and started creating this drug rehab program that was not helping any of these guys out whatsoever in fact it it kept them uh getting hooked on to drugs over here because they allow drug dealers to come over there sell these guys drugs and they would keep collecting the insurance money every month just like how they would try to keep these kids in these programs from what y'all been telling me every single month they'd get thousands and thousands of dollars from y'all mm-hmm. and it, it's just it, it baffles me but one thing i wanted to know too was y'all had school and everything during the day what yeah. did they try to teach y'all at these places if they taught y'all anything well they they use a Christian curriculum and they call them paces. So mm-hmm. there's so many booklets for each, like for um for each. There's twelve, uh, there's 12 books per subject. Yeah, twelve okay. books each for each twelve books. So if you complete twelve books in math, and they're all numbered, um, they make you take a diagnostic test to see where you're at. And a lot of us are all behind, anyways. Um. Then that 12 book after those 12 books, then you get to go on to the next grade up. So it was 12 books for each subject. So you had math, English, etymology, social studies, science, and then some extracurricular, which could have been like Bible or literacy or whatever stupid bull crap. Yeah. Um, it was yeah. through ACE School Tomorrow, which is um, in Corpus yeah. Christi, Texas. I remember. But it's not accredited. I, yeah, I, I remember when I went to when I went to a couple of Christian schools and everything like that when I was younger. We had like these different colored workbooks and everything. It was like like a hundred page workbooks, and you'd have your mathematics problems in there and everything like that. You'd have your social studies, your history, your English. It was something similar to that. Is that what y'all kind of referring to? Yeah, no, 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 no. It's compl- it's it's a little bit different, but mm-hmm. similar. Um, it's the it, 
I don't even know how to explain it. It's ACE, yeah. like, I don't know how. It looks like, so they're about 30 pages long. It looks like a comic book, almost the size of yeah. a comic book. It's got cartoons and stuff in it. And so yeah. you have one one subject, and then once you get done with that book, um, then you take a test, and then you can go on to the next book because you have to complete 12 books in each subject before you can move on to the next grade. Um, and it's not accredited at all. Yeah. When so I actually happened? Google it, you can actually Google it. They still sell the books and stuff because I actually used it during 2020 during the pandemic for homeschooling because I didn't know what else. I know what the fuck I was doing. <laughs> so. I gotcha, I gotcha. so when I got out of Bethel, my mom, um, she sent me to this Christian school, um, Chesapeake Christian School, and they had paces as well. So um me and my mom, when I was a senior, we had gotten to an argument and I had moved in with a friend and I got in trouble in school. So I couldn't come back unless my mom came and had a conference. Well, so after that, I just tried to enroll in regular school as a senior, mind you. They were trying to put me back in ninth grade because paces are not accredited. So no matter you could have finished school, you know, and done all the paces, all the tests, everything. And still, it, it doesn't mean a damn thing because it you can't get your um you can't get nothing from it it's yeah. it doesn't count yeah so so twenty thousand dollars not a proper education no no accreditation whatsoever and your mom had to pay that loan back till the day she died yep and then uh, and then yeah. you come out of it with, with a with a ton of trauma on top of that yeah yep trauma ptsd all all of it and you know so uh, how I, old were you when you left the program, Brittany? Well, I, you know how like the first four months, your parents come visit you where they can. The eight months, you get a week home. And then 12 months, you go home. Well, mm -hmm. that's how it's supposed to go. Well, my four months was my 16th birthday. And my mom, um, she was scheduled. She was going to fly out for the week. My mom got diagnosed with multiple sclerosis. She had an episode and she was hospitalized, so she could not make it for my birthday. So at eight months, um, you know, I was, I would talk to my best friend from home. Um, and I talked to my mom and everything. My family was like, why don't you just let her come home now instead of waiting till December? You know, like she could go back to school now you know, I think this is, you know, she's changed enough. She's learned her lesson. So at, at the end, almost not a couple of days for my nine month mark, I went home. Wow. Was yeah. there, was there anything? So during the eight months that you were there, was there any other times besides the first day that you were there when, or when you had to exercise and you got into, and William Knott was pretty much beating yeah. you and brutalizing tell, tell you. us about what it was like for those for those eight months and then what it was like for you when you got home what happened yeah so um there were several times that um william not came to the girls home and it's called you know they called it wear us out meaning exercise until you know we all pass out, we can't passed out. Yeah. right yes um I, um, we, in the dorm, we, it was just like a very long hallway and it had tile on the floor. Um, we had just got done exercising one time and we were all stretching. Well, this girl, Allison, she wasn't stretching right. So, um, one of the leaders made us all start exercising again. Well, then we had to run. So then she wasn't running right. So we had to do it even longer. So I tripped her and pushed her down. 
Well, she went and told on me. So then they made me bear crawl for over an hour. I had no skin on my hands. It's, you know, bear crawls when you walk on your hands and your feet. Okay. I like bend over. And I had to go up and down that tile hallway. I was throwing up several times. The only reason that I was allowed to stop is because a parent was coming to walk through the dorm just to see where her daughter was going to go. And they told me if I said a word, I would regret it. Yeah. Um, there's, there were times where we were, um, we were done school. We were all five, you know, we had to walk in a single file line back to the dorms. Well, girls at the end of the line were talking. I'd had a, a toothache you know, for months, because one of my teeth was cracked, and it was like rotting, and they wouldn't take me to the dentist. So I was barely talking, I wasn't eating, like for a couple days, I was in excruciating pain. And so the girls in the back got in trouble. So everybody had to line up in the dorm. And mind you, I was the 20th girl there during my time. When I left, there was 109 girls. Oh, my God, there was never that many girls when I was there. Oh, my God. God. Yes. So they were all lined up from the beginning of the hallway to the very end. Everybody was like, you know, back to chest doing exercises and it's a closed hallway. There's no air, nothing. Girls were passing out left and right. I had to clean the kitchen. That's the only thing that got me out of it that day is because my tooth and everybody saw like I could barely even function because my tooth pain was so bad and my face was so swollen. Um, the only thing they did was give me BC powder, which is like aspirin, aspirin, like crushed up into a powder yeah. to like take. And cause they said girls, you know, were faking to take aspirin or Tylenol, whatever. So they'd give it in a powder form. So you knew that you really had to be hurting in, in order to take that nasty shit. Yeah. But and, uh, they- that was something that, see, BC powder was something that's very popular in the construction industry and industry, especially jobs where you don't have a lot of health insurance. Uh, and, den- and dental insurance as well. Um, I remember guys who would have bad toothaches. They would pour BC powder on top of their teeth yep. to, to stop the pain and everything, so they can go back to work and every- so they can go to work that morning and make their you know make their money so they can pay their bills and all that. Yeah, um, I'm pretty sure that's probably where they where they learned that from as well. Um, you know, it's very cheap. It's very you know you could buy like a, back then, especially you could buy like a couple pack, like a couple six packs of it for like a, a buck or two. Yeah, I mean, you know, healthcare wasn't really uh, a primary uh, expense they wanted to pay on their end over there, from what I can gather. Yeah, not at all. Um, They, I, I only think the whole time I was there, one person went to the hospital because there was this, I guess, up and coming singer from Branson, Missouri. And she had a eating disorder. When she got there, she had just had like plastic surgery and she couldn't even hold a shampoo bottle. They only sent her there to hide her out for a little bit. She gained weight. She healed from her plastic surgery. But she she had uh, in the beginning, I think she stayed there two months, but in the beginning, she just kept throwing up and throwing up. She like passed out and was unresponsive and they had to rush her to the hospital. So that's the only reason I think that they took her is because she was unresponsive. Yeah. Mm. Mm. Wow. But Wait. I mean, literally you, I mean, I've seen girls get their ponytail like pulled and their head knocked on the pew in church for looking over at the boys during church. Cause it was girls on the left, boys on the right. All and- right. 
yeah like dare you like god help you if you looked anywhere in their direction yeah like now did Mm -hmm. you have any now they when i was there we had to pick cotton and dig tree stumps out of with the spoon did you guys have to go through any of that Um, well swim in the pond with the water moccasins yes um i got leeches from being in that swamp that swamp pond um i was made to um they were putting up a fence around the perimeter and there was this was a big place like there was was yeah um there was a lot of land so um i was made this girl i guess i think her name was christy she had been there before and came back just as a leader and so we were digging holes and putting four by fours, um, in the holes, pouring concrete on them. And I, they made me, um, go through the swamp and do that part by myself. Cause she didn't want to go in the swamp. So that's how I got leeches. Um, mm. yeah. So every Saturday, um, you woke up, we had breakfast and then we had to deep clean. That meant the outside gardening inside, like every single crevice of that whole entire place including the their offices their apartment and they had a lot of kids like we we had to do everything for them even their laundry yeah like i I remember we got so many girls they got a greyhound bus but we couldn't keep the greyhound name on it so bubba got a sandpaper and nothing else like no gloves no nothing to you know those little rubber things you put the sandpaper on and you can yeah we were out there for i don't even think an hour and all of our hands were broken and bloody and the only time i think i've seen miss jody yell at at bubba was her saying like you know you better get them gloves and and the things to do that she said or else i'm leaving she's like i can't take it she's like that's not right so he, he, she told us to stop. He told us to keep going. So we're standing there looking at each other. And she said, drop everything. And like, just, we, I never really heard her, you know, in that tone. So we dropped it and she told us to go inside and, you know, go clean ourselves up and stuff. And we didn't go do that again until he got the proper equipment for us to finish it. And what was your what? relationship like with Miss Doty briefly? Like, did you like her? Did you not like her? What's your feelings well, on that? See, at first, I, um, at first, like, I, I didn't know how to take her. Um, but then I had spent one Saturday, she was like refinishing furniture. So she, you know, how sometimes she would just pick one of the girls to help her for that day. Mm-hmm. So she picked me, and we were outside staining furniture by the garden on their end. And she was telling me how, you know, she was in the girl's home back in the day and she got out of it by marrying Bubba. So like how I would see her sometimes just look so disgusted. Yeah. Um, And just, she just seems so sad. And I just heard about her leave, taking off and leaving like after I had left and stuff. And I just feel like she was in a loveless marriage how she loved her kids but um i think she was you know when she was acting mean i think it was her projecting her shit and her life on us but at some time she saved us many times yes i recall too yeah so i mean i i don't think everything was right that she did but just 
you know, being on this healing journey, you know, I'm almost nine months sober, you know, I've done messed up stuff in my life and I'm not perfect, but I don't, I don't think I hold her in a bad regard. Like I do Bubba. Yeah. I think a lot or, of us feel that way too. Well, most of us girls. Yeah. But I mean, yeah. she, she's pretty much from what you're, well, what you're describing. She was pretty much a victim in, in this situation that got trapped in this whole vicious cycle. And the only way that she was able to get out of it was to marry Bubba and everything yeah. as well. But there's other yeah. things too, that make me feel like, well, you know, yeah. There, like other, I don't so. think she's blameless at all. Um, right. I just think, you know, sometimes hurt people hurt people. People, yep. Uh, and, um, you know, so, I mean, it's just the, you know, I, Bubba, I have a real problem with, you know, just because of things he did. You know, he called me. Now, God. did he ever take, make any of his daughters join the program at any point in time? Because Herman Fountain Senior yeah. used to do that with his boys all the time. Yeah, no, never. I know, like, Hannah used to, you know, hang out with us a lot. And um, Victoria and Carolyn, sometimes they'd come back there and, like, you know, give us shit or just try to play with us, you know. But, um, you know, none of them were in the program with us, at, not when I was there at all. Okay. Yeah, not but, their kids, apparently. Yeah. Um, you know, but it was just, you know, I remember they were redoing their offices. So they got a couple of us girls to, you know, lay down that, you know, the, um, the fake wood that like slots in between each other. Yeah. And you got, yeah. So we had to, you know, do all their offices and the hallway and everything. Um, you know, we had to do crazy stuff like that. And I only remember really, I mean, I want to like make sure like because some of us girls, we were there together and we went through it together. So we developed a bond that nobody else will ever understand but yes. us. And it's kind of like a trauma bond, but it's also we hung on to each other so we could get through. And yeah. so, you know, sometimes, you know, Saturdays after the work was done, we could watch movies and have snacks out in the mm -hmm. cafeteria. Sometimes we did have fun, fun times, you know, we yeah. could just be other and just forget about where we were and just enjoy each other and then one time he took us to the lake so we all got to do a cookout it was like for i don't know if it was memorial day or something we got to go to the lake for the day and we all had a great time you know it was far few and in between you know but um a lot of us just you know we, we made each other survive in there. You know, I knew, you know, a girl that was adopted, her and her brother, they kept her brother and sent her there. Hmm. Do you remember Maddie? I don't think Maddie was there when I was there. Um, Tiffany Wilburn was there and her brother, uh, Samuel Wilburn, um, and her sister, uh, I think Heather was in the program. They were all there at the same time. I can't remember. Yeah. Yeah. Um, my friend, we had, a lot, we had a lot of siblings, a lot of adopted yes. siblings. Autumn Cornwin and her brother were in the program together. We had a lot of siblings. Um, yeah, my girl. Was, that was something that was very, um, that happened a lot. Yeah, my friend Tangi, um, her and her brother were sent there. So Sundays, you know, when we all went to church, they were allowed to have like a half an hour to an hour together, yeah. just them. Um, 
and then that's what how we found out you know a lot of the abuse that was going on at the boys home and i remember one saturday um we had to do like this big clean out of the gardens and the the area right by the school you know and um rake up a bunch of stuff well we got these rakes and brooms and there was blood and and shit at the end Mm. so wow like it was like you could you knew you just knew what happened with them and Ugh. and there were there were rumors about boys being sodomized yep. you know by each other and the staff and like that was just our proof and it 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 was scary as shit when when you see that and you're like there's no other explanation for this at all yeah it just i don't know like I feel like, um, you know, a lot of things I've tried to suppress from there, but I still have nightmares and, you know, and certain triggers about that place. And in a way it's made me stronger, but I shouldn't have had to go through that in order to be stronger or, you know, Brittany, you were already a strong person and that's why you survived that. That place did not make you stronger, but I, I understand where you're coming from with that. Um, because I, yeah. I say it to myself sometimes too. Like I told my husband, I was like, man, I survived Bethel. I can do this and da, da, da. And, you know, right. uh, my son, he was doing exercises. I do exercises with my son because I don't like spanking, but I don't do it to the extent of what we went through at Bethel, but it's to help okay. build him up, you know, and right. um, I'll do it with him. And I'm like, Oh my God, my fat ass can't do this shit no more. Like I used to be fit. <laughs> like that's the only thing yeah. I gained. Like that made me a stronger physically. Like I was fit. No, like, me you too. You didn't fuck with Sabrina. Yeah. <laughs> when I came yeah. home, when I came home, my clothes would not fit only because my muscles, that my thigh muscles, it was nothing but muscle. Like it yeah. was insane. The amount of muscle yeah. that I had coming home. Like I felt like, like mannish, like it was crazy. Like I ended up being able to do a six minute wall sit by the time I left there. Now I can't even make 30 seconds. Right. Oh Yeah. I remember Sabrina, you were telling me in in our in, in the interview we did before a couple episodes back, uh, you had to go like like do the log pile and everything like that, the wood pile or, and everything. Uh, did mm-hmm. you have to do that as well, Brittany? Yes, I did. Yes, Jeez. I did. Uh, so, Sabrina, can can you explain what the wood pile was for people that might not have heard our previous interview? So wood pile is where you have to get this big old log and you have to carry it from point A, drop it, point B, drop it. And it's not like a walking pace. It's like a brisk walk, almost running pace. And you're doing this for hours and hours on end without water breaks, without going to the bathroom. Girls have passed out. Um, it's, 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 it's bad. In the heat, in the cold, yeah. they don't care. Now, yeah, I know, like, so I so I know from when the boys were telling me uh, some things. I, I don't think we covered it in the la- in in the episode that I covered with the Bethel boys. But I remember outside of the podcast, they would uh, be doing these uh, the marches, the running marches, and everything like that as well. Uh, when somebody new would actually ask for water and everything, they'd have the five gallon, you know, like like a five gallon uh, jug of water out there, cool at water cooler, and they would uh, somebody would go and ask for water. They go, sure, come on up, get some water. And then they go, no, come on, take another, take another drink. And then they take another drink and then, no, no, get another drink. And then when they said, no, I'm good, I'm full. No, you're not full. And then they would just sit there and put them underneath that spout, put a rag on top of their face and just let the water just 
just go into their mouth, you know, like waterboarding them, torturing them. Did they do that to any of y'all there as well? Uh, not while I was there. Um, when we were outside exercising and the Mississippi heat is not any kind of joke. Um, no. We could not get water until we were all finished. Nobody, nobody could get water. Even if somebody passed out, no, you're laying there until we're finished. And then everybody would run inside in the kitchen, get these big orange plastic cups. And then we'd all stand in line and fill our water cup up in the sink and everybody would, you know, be trying to push each other, get in there. And then, you know, then we get in trouble. It'd be a single file line again, but no, none of us got water until the very end. They, they would never bring water outside. Oh, wow. Boys home was more intense than the girls home. I mean, we went through shit too. I mean, I know John gets on to me all the time because I was like, well, we didn't go through it like you. And he's like, y'all went through shit too. Stop saying that. Get that out your head. I'm like, yeah, that's right. We're survivors too. But then boys, oh God. If we had not all the time, I'm telling you, uh, they'd have dead girls. Yeah, they would. They would have had dead girls. We would have been dropping. We would have been dropping. I wouldn't have survived. I would have, I would have killed. I would have tried to kill myself. Like, yeah, I wouldn't so have been able to make it. Away yeah. because I, I agree with Sabrina. Like, there would be dead girls because he, he if you look at his mugshot, there his eyes are black. He has no soul. He was a freaking yeah. cokehead, too. He was always jacked up on juice. They found his needles and stuff. He was on steroids and all that shit. That's why he was always like, all the time. Yeah, yeah. he just. Oh my God. He, he sickens me. Like I still have, I still have nightmares sometimes about, you know, that day with the pond and the kicking and the, like never in my life. Like, Oh my God. Like I think I did suppress a lot of things until that 2020 episode came out with all of that. And I was, and it just kind of all came rushing back to me. I couldn't get through five minutes of, of that episode without crying. So besides William Knott, who else was doing the physical training out there for you or the physical torture, whatever you want to call it, the, the, P, the PT they were making y'all do? Who were who the other people out there? Well, they would, um, you know, the girls that had been there longer or showed more, you know, submissive listening, you know, who listened to them, um, they would, you know, give them power <laughs> or leadership and to do it. But there was one girl, uh, Brenda, she had been in the girls' home. She had left, and then she came back, but as a leader, not as a girl. She had her own room. She could wear her own clothes. Um, it couldn't be pants, but, um, you know, she she was there. And um, I think she had a lot of anger and stuff, um, you know, and probably a lot of issues from being there in the first place. But she was sent back um, to be our leader, and, and she would wear us out. Um, so yeah, or Bubba did it himself. Okay. Yeah, he and loved- Bubba, he was like a two hundred. Uh, not sorry, two hundred. Uh, that's that's downplaying it. He's about three hundred and fifty yeah. pounds, six foot four man. He was a big dude, and yeah. we're probably about a buck fifteen, maybe to a buck forty max. Um, yeah, little girls here, people, and he would back us up into the wall. Stick. I remember. I recall a time where he, when Brenda was there the first time with me. Uh, when she first came, because she came from another program, um, uh, New Creations, uh, right here in Richmond, Indiana, which is about 20 minutes away from me. It's shut down now, but she came from there. And uh, he put his bare fa- bare ass in her face and made her kiss it, like bare face, face to ass cheeks, because she said she told him to kiss her ass. 
And I remember sitting there in the cafeteria on the tables, mortified, like, why isn't anyone doing anything? And I often think about why didn't we jump these suckers? There's more of us than them. Now, I do remember hearing about, I guess, in 2005, there was a raid. Yeah, I think it was. I don't know. I think there was one in 2004, then five. Or is it five and six? I think because it was shortly after I left because it was like, I think it was like the end or the beginning of the next year. And um, I think that's when it, it started happening. I think, um, I think started in 2004 and then they tried to reopen it and then they got shut down again in 2005. But I, I don't know. I think so, but it's, I mean, it was crazy. Like they tried to make Brenda date Samuel Fountain. Oh my God. Yeah. They would do hookups with, uh, so when I was there the second time and I don't know whose idea it was, I don't know if it was Dodie's or whatever, but they did some kind of like program thing where like, if you were 17 and you're about to graduate, they would let you court a boy. So that way you knew the proper ways of dating. Right. Um, and, uh, they would play like matchmaker and it was really weird and you could go out on a date, but it was supervised and you could sit on the fountain's porch and eat like lunch, uh, together on Sunday and you could sit mm-hmm. with each other at church, but you had to have a Bible in between you. It was really weird. Yeah. It was super freaking weird. It yeah, was that's super very, weird. That's, that's very similar to, uh, to what the church I grew up in tried to do as well with our youth group. Uh, we had, we had, a. Uh, so I, I was part of the uh, G12 method of ministry, which was kind of like an MLM for Jesus, right? Like you pretty much mm-hmm. would, you would have a, you'd have the pastor, he'd be the the head cell group leader because they had, they, they, the Bible studies were called cell groups. And he, his job was to go find 12 people, make them leaders in the church. And then they it teach them how to go get 12 people and so on and so forth. And it was a form of like church management and things of that sort of nature. And the way you were measured in success was how many people you, you had in your, your downline and everything as well. But uh, at, when it came to the youth group and everything, they tried to try to do something very similar. It was never, there was no dating. It was always courting uh, you had. And you, if you were a member of that church, you had to have a cell group leader and your cell group leader and the girl, like for me, like, my silver bleeder and the girl's silver bleeder, they had to get together, talk about it and pray about it. And if the Holy spirit or God or whoever told them that it was a good idea, they would go ahead and sign off on it. And then you would have all these supervised dates and everything like or supervised courtings uh, that you would do and everything like that. And they had people that actually got married through all that stuff. And then some people, um, I remember people would leave the church, leave completely because they were told, Oh, y'all not a good fit. And, they got married afterwards and they still married to this day. Uh, you know, it's, it was just one of them weird things. Y'all, it was just a memory. Y'all just triggered off from me just now. But uh, yeah, it, it was really weird. Cause I remember Brenda coming back and we're all asking her like, cause you know, she, she wasn't a monster. Like I said, hurt people, hurt people. And I mean, I, I like Brenda now we're friends on Facebook and I know she went through what we went through and it's not an easy thing to go through. And, you know, um, so we would sit there and ask her, you know, how it went. And she was like, I don't really like him, but they kept pushing it. And, you know, then Christy was there and she was like, Brenda, she wasn't part of the girls. She used to be there and she came back to like help out. They did not want to hire any like outside people really. So they could see what's going on. I remember just the ladies in the school, Miss Brenda, and I forgot her assistant's name, but, um, once they started, you know, 
hiring people that were, you know, helping the girls after school and stuff and like, you know, keeping an eye on us, um, you know, in the house. That's, I think, when um, stuff started to like leak out about what was happening there. But even the the teacher, Miss Brenda at the school, um, you know, she was such a godsend, you know, she would try to help us out sometimes. And she was, you know, she had said multiple times she didn't agree about things that were going on there. And I remember when she told us she was leaving, that all of us were just petrified. We were scared. Did, did she ever say why she was leaving? Um, she said that she just couldn't do it anymore. She was taking a yeah. different job. And, you know, she said that she, she'll always be there praying for us and stuff like that. Um, but she just said that she just, she couldn't take it anymore. She knew what was going on. Yeah. Did, um, I, I mean, I know people try to, did anybody after y'all got out of these programs, I mean, did any of these other teachers that they try to tell the media, did they try to tell anybody else? Did anybody believe them or was it kind of like think, how it was going on with y'all? Well, I think it was like, um, I know, um, I forget who it was. One of the girls moms, um, she went there and they wouldn't let, um, cause I guess her, the mom and dad were separated. He sent her there. She tried to go and visit and they wouldn't let her see him. She got home and then she found out something from somebody else that had been there and she ran and, and got her daughter. After that, I think they started talking to the police and the FBI. Um, and then I think other, other parents, you know, started talking to their kids and finding out more. And I believe I read that there was, a lady that worked there that quit uh, or got fired because she said something to Mr. Fountain, so to Bubba, and then she got fired or something, and then she went to the police too, I believe. Oh, wow. And that's when the FBI came and the girls went, I guess, to DHS or they got interviewed, and then they started finding out what was really going on there. Wow. Did, did the local police ever come by over to these places and check on y'all or anything like that? No. They had Never. Herman Fountain had them in his pockets. He was paying the police officers and politicians in yeah. Lindale, yeah. in Petal, Mississippi, and in Hattiesburg, Mississippi. They had them in their pockets. He even yeah, had because... neighbors that lived around um, Loosedale property in his pockets, too. I remember when I told yeah. you um, in my earlier interview with you, uh, the first time yeah. I ran away, I was picked up by a neighbor who knew Herman Fountain. Yeah. And they were, received yeah. kickbacks for getting for getting them kickbacks. For for sure, because they, you know, at their church, the church was at the boys' home right down the street from the fountain's actual home. Um, and it wasn't just for us. It was open to the public. Yes. So, yeah. uh, like, people from around, you know, the town would come to that church, and they knew all about us. They would sit behind us. The girls would fill the first left side, and the church, the pews went from the front to the back. Like, it was packed. and. Yeah. We weren't allowed to interact with anybody there. We weren't allowed to talk until we were outside on the bus. Like, we were not allowed to say anything. And if we did, that was our ass. Did any of the people try to talk to y'all, though? Uh, did any of the members that came from the public? They would say, like, hi sometimes. Or, mm -hmm. you know, like, if as we were walking by, so, like, some people would say stuff, but not much. But I remember Ruth got married. Um, and that was like Bubba's sister. Um, Ruth got married and when the um the fountains, you know, farm on their land, and we were put in a trailer 
um, for most of the day after the reception. Uh, I mean, after the, um, you know, ceremony. So then for the reception, we were put in this trailer and we had to stay in there all day. We got to come out to grab a plate. Um, and then uh, Ruth said, why don't y'all dance? And then some of the girls started like it was like they were twerking and then we all got in trouble got sent back to the <laughs> got sent back to the um trailer yeah oh it was and then those girls got worn out when we got home hmm. yeah if you dance it was a sin worldly yes. Yes. yeah yeah no i mean it, so like i mean some of the stuff y'all talk about I, I grew up i grew up with the similar things as well but nothing to 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 those extremes except for maybe like the music the dating part i mean a lot of that's in, integrated into a lot of christian culture and everything as well yeah. and uh you know I, i've heard of these type of programs growing up but i didn't you know nobody knew what was going on with any of this stuff i mean hell i, I didn't it wasn't until i really found like john and sabrina on uh on tiktok until i really found out what was really going on with these programs i remember when you were talking about the transporter, every time somebody talks about a transporter story, I think about that episode on the Sopranos in the last season. They had a guy uh, was one of the captain's uh, sons. Uh, the captain got killed, and uh, the boy was acting out, and so he just kept getting in trouble in school and got m- more and more progressively worse. So they pr- pretty much sent this boy off into a pro- program. All you saw in the episode was that. You had these two transporters come in, break into the house in the middle of the night, put the boy in a van, and that's all you ever heard about him ever since. You know, mm. that's all I ever. So whenever I hear about the story, whenever I hear about the transport stories or anything like that, that's what I think of. And then, of course, um, you know, the the new show that came out on Netflix like Wednesday, right? I mm-hmm. I watched that the other, the other weekend, and man, I just kept like hearing y'all stories and knowing what y'all going through. I, I just kept getting TTI vibes off of it the whole time. So there's a show on Netflix. Um, I can't remember what the name of it is. Snowflake Mountain or something like that or Snowflake something. But it's um, where they take uh, immature young adults into the wilderness and they make them rough it. And at first, a lot of the TTI survivors on TikTok were like so upset because they thought this would hurt our stories and validate them. Well, anyways, I was like, well, let me see for myself. I actually watched this show and I actually kind of like what they did there. If they did something like that, because there was a goal for the kids, or it was like, you're winning money off of this. It's not just we're doing this because your parents think you're lazy, but we're trying to give you initiative. There's no right. initiatives in these programs. There's nothing. Not a- There's no yeah, initiatives. Like- There's no initiative to do better. And by not talking about your life prior to the program, you're not getting to the root of the problem because a lot of the things is family dynamics. And a yeah. lot of parents are not going to like what I'm about to say here, but a lot of them get sent away because the parents are shitty, shitty parents. They don't want to deal yeah. with it. Lazy parents that don't want to deal with it. You know, um, they don't realize what part they're playing. They don't sit back and be like, Hey, okay, this is what's going on with my kid. What can I do better? You know, cause a lot, like I was acting out because, I wasn't getting enough attention. I didn't have enough structure and I just lost my father. I was a lost little girl, you know, like, and I think that if, even though it's a a Christian organization, if there are guidelines or, you know, 
like checks on these places or rules and guidelines it could be better but what they're doing now is not working it's traumatizing us and it's not making us better so many people i know that come from those programs end up like on drugs or acting out worse when they get out because they're so or they become monsters a lot of you know a lot of the men they become alpha males aggressive and it it harms you know the relationships and that kind of stuff i mean it made me an aggressive person um, and an irritable person. And I don't like being that side of myself. I go to from zero to a hundred real quick. I developed, um, borderline personality disorder due to the trauma from those places. Um, yeah. and now I'm, I'm, I'm left with all this shit that I have to unlearn and fix. I didn't ask for this shit. Nobody did. Right. And you're lumping all these kids with different problems together. Then some of them don't even need to be in a program like that. Like, you know, Brittany, you needed therapy and counseling for yeah. grief. And yep. you needed someone to pay attention to you. That's it. Some parenting changes real quick. You know, let's acknowledge what our kid needs. Okay. Recognize it. Fix it. Get her some counseling. That's all you needed. And But instead, yeah. you got sent to fucking Bethel and then you got traumatized. And I'm so sorry that happened to you. Um, and you're so brave for being willing to share your story with us. Yes. Yeah. Thank you so much, Brittany. I, I know, mean, I know it's nervous really- doing that. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Oh, sorry. <laughs> um, okay. You know, Sabrina, I honestly, like I started, you know, I knew who you were when I was in Bethel. Cause you know, all the girls that get to leave, you know, your legacy kind of is talked about afterwards <laughs> and with other people, <laughs> you know, so they would talk about how sometimes you would rebel. I want to hear, like, hear it. I want to hear it. <laughs> yes. Let's hear about the legend of Sabrina. Right. They would just be like, you know, you were really a presence there, how a lot of people clung to you. They respected who you were as a person, what you had to say, how you rebelled against the bullshit, you know. And I remember because Alexis Parr, you know, she was there. She talked about. Yeah, she talked about you a lot. And I was really close with Alexis. And then, you know, on our Bethel page, I started seeing you and I was like, oh, I know her. So when you started coming out, like I wanted to do that for a long time, but I just didn't know how. And after my mom died, um, three years ago, my mother, like not my mother-in-law, but my son's grandmother, she died a week and a half after my mom, both of cancer. And I lost it. Cause she was like my mom too. You know, I spiraled out and I, I became a, a different a shell of a person. So I got into treatment, you know, I went through it. Um, two months I went to the next program and now I'm in sober living um you know and I'm coming up on nine months sober I'm starting to be able to heal from my mom's death and actually unpack everything and you know this is one thing that I talk about in therapy too um and it's you know it's part of my story about how I got to where I got you know because so many things happen in your life and you don't unpack them you bury them down so once you get to your limit you explode and it's not a, a good thing you know so being in therapy, you know, being where I am now, like I'm able to do this and it's, you know, seeing you and seeing other people talk about this too. And that, you know, I'm not looked at like I'm crazy because y'all know what we all went through. Yeah, We all know what we went through and you're not crazy in what you went through. And I believe you, if anyone else doesn't believe you, girl, I believe you. You know, but there are people out there who, who believe you and we care. And that's why we're doing this. And we're so, I'm so blessed to have met Jeremy and for Jeremy to have reached out to me. And then I just kind of was like, you know, I want to help 
give other people a platform and and you know and I don't want you guys to be led to the wrong person who's going to exploit you either you know someone with good pure intentions because we know we have trust issues you know so I'm, I'm just so proud of you and I'm so glad that you're you know recovering and you're sharing your story yeah, it's a yeah, great I- feeling, you know, and I'm glad I'm able to do it here, you know, because I respect you as a person. I love you to death, even though we've physically never met, you know, but oh. I feel like I know you just through, you know, our Bethel Facebook page and just like your social media page and, you know, talking to Jeremy the other day, you know, about doing this, you know, I felt a good energy and, you know, just a good presence. So it just feels good to be able to talk about it, unload it and, you know, just get it out there because, you know, maybe this could change something, you know, maybe somebody will hear this and be like, okay, my kid's acting this way. What can I do to help, you know, yeah. or and I'm it sure might there help is- another survivor who just left the program, be able to feel comfortable to share their story with their family right away. Instead of waiting years like I did, or, or, you know, years yeah. like you did or however long, you know, they're able to, and they're like, I'm not crazy. This happened. Mom, listen, and it's proof and validation to them and for their parents yeah. to believe them. And that's why exactly. it's so important for those who are able to share their stories to do it and it's a good release because you don't want all this crap built up you know and you want to be able to move on from it exactly and you know i'm sure there is maybe one or two programs that are helpful but i really feel like there needs to be some sort of there's too many there's too many unevidence-based programs out there like the ones that we're exposing right now um and we've proven that for three years we're just not loud enough but that that's okay because i'm rallying the troops and y'all are ready to rock and roll but uh, right. there's so many of them and there shouldn't be religion. And I'm going to piss a lot of people off of this. There should be no religion in the TTI programs unless you're going to accept all walks of faith, all religions, just like public school. And it should be a limit on how many programs can be in one state and how many programs you can own. And if you get found from abuse and shut down, you're not allowed to reopen again. You should be licensed. There should be legislation on this. It yes. Happen 100% now. Agreed. 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 Yes. I'm my, actually dra- drafting a bill of rights for survivors oh my right God, now. Yes. yes, that's what I was going to say, that hopefully there could be a bill passed or some yep. sort of regulation. Yep. For, that, for people to be accountable for what they do to children, because if you I don't know if there were people like atheists when um, girls that came in when yes, you were there. there were some, yes, there was a few. And some they Catholic girls. Whole- yeah, they got it the worst because they're like, oh, you worship the devil. You're this, you're that. And they just, that, or if you're gay, they try to oh, beat it. you're gay. Oh, yeah, God forbid. They thought me and Alexis was gay because we were so attached to the hip. They tried to separate us. But we were like best friends. Like, I made it through because of her. Like, she ever yeah, watched I- that show um, on Disney Channel. Uh, she goes, Zeta Cepetus. What is that yes. movie? You oh, my God. About- uh, uh, Zen- was it Xenon? Xenon. Yeah, Xenon. Like, she, yeah. I was Nebula to her Xenon, or whatever the girl's name is. Nebula to her Xena. Like, yeah. that's how we were. It was Lexi and Sab. Like yeah, I was like that. And um, before I got sent to Bethel, I was actually um, dating this guy. And um, he was he was actually good for me. But he had, um, you know, moved away or whatever. So my mom still let us. She three-way called and let us talk on the phone. Well, she, she mailed me a calendar and, and hit a picture of him in there, and they found it. So um, I remember 
so Mr. Fountain knew and he heard on conversations me talking to my quote unquote boyfriend on the phone, even though I was in there. So and he, um, he had went to the uh, military school. So I, me and this girl were really close, Erica, and she was gay, but me and her weren't in the middle of us waiting for, you know, how you had to get in line for dinner. He called me out, called me because um, she was mixed. Okay, yeah. he, he called me the N-word lover. Um, he called me a carpet muncher. I was a lesbian. I was, I was dirty. I was like all of these horrible things. And then after dinner, he took me outside and I thought I was going to get like worn out. And he said, well, I know it wasn't you and her, but I know there's other girls that are attracted to her. So I had to use you as an example, even though I know that, you know, you have a boyfriend cause we have the picture. And we hear the conversation. So yeah. God bless you. He completely yeah. like he, he called me out and humiliated me. And for no reason, just because he knew other girls, you know, were liked Erica, but he couldn't pinpoint who it was. Mm. Wow. Like that yeah. that was horrible. Like, you know, when he called everybody freak show or um a whore or you know, bitch, like it was racial slurs yes the just emotional and like verbal abuse was just as bad as the physical and then you know on sundays and wednesdays when we have chaplets oh god loves you we love you we're doing this and then they would punch the bible and scream in your face and it traumatized me like i don't want to be in a church i got hit in the head with the bible like smacked like smacked in the face and hit in the head with the bible Mm. Jesus. And you see, this is a side of Christianity that I never knew anything about. You know, that when I grew up in Christianity, this was, you know, like hearing the stories was just like, it horrified me. And this is unknown to a lot of Christian people. This is unknown, like when, when I actually talk to people who are Christians, who go to church on Sundays and things like that and tell them about these programs, their first initial reaction is to get defensive and say, oh, that, well, those weren't real Christians. Well, look, yeah. They paraded themselves as real Christians. Yes. They went and, and preached the Bible every single Sunday. They're amongst you. They're yeah, they you. fooled people. <laughs> yeah, they fooled people. I mean, they, they, they're, they're wolves in sheep's clothing. I mean, yeah. it's, it's like completely opposite of what you read about Jesus in the Bible. They're criminals you know? displaying righteousness. Yes. Yeah. And it's, it's not to say to that... Right. It's not to say that all Christians or Catholic or whatever, Baptist, whatever you are, are bad. It's these people that paraded around as that, that waved that Christian flag or that Baptist flag and said, hey, we can help you because we're this way. You know, like now I'm spiritual. I believe in God, but I am no specific religion just because of that whole Mm -hmm. thing. You know, I tell a lot of people that, uh, you know, I've stepped away from Christianity, but not Christ. Right. Uh, because uh, there was a lot that, that I did learn from the Bible that I learned from Christ to, to, to be able to put back into the world, you know, treat others as you'd want to be treated, be, you know, be a, be a protector of, of those who are weak and defenseless, uh, you, you know, protect all the children. I mean, th- those are good values to have no matter what faith or, or, or way of life that you believe in. I mean, right. those, it's basic, just basic human, decent, standards that all men and women should have and to hear these stories and a lot of the reason why they did what they did was for for the money i mean it's it's basically what all this was about was to make money off y'all 
Yes. And it, it infuriates the hell out of me because, I mean, I've read the story in the Bible where Jesus went and he turned over the, the tables of the money changers at the temple and everything like that, turned a rope into a whip and chased them out because he saw that people were, were making money off of off of his father, off of God, you know, and it's the same thing. It's just a different day and age. And but yes. the same type of a crime being committed, you know, using religion as a way to profit. I mean, it's just. It, it baffles me. It, it, it sickens me. It sickens a lot of people when I tell them this. And some people just aren't ready to hear this story, hear these stories and everything. But that's not going to stop me from putting it in their faces and realize that, hey, just because you close your eyes or stick your head in the sand doesn't mean this problem is going away anytime soon. Nobody else is coming. You know, you, the listener who's listening, the people that you're sharing these stories with, y'all are the heroes. Y'all are the ones that are going to come in and do something about it. Otherwise, it's going to continue to keep going on. Yeah. And, I mean, it, that's what it is. You know, like there's nobody else coming like God sending, you know, if, if you believe that God sends people, well, he's sending you. He put it in your he put it in your ears and in your face for a reason. Do something. Say something. Make your voice known. Use whatever platform you got. I mean, good God, you know, like something is better than nothing. And for that's anyone what, who wants to argue with the fact of any survivors doing this because we're just angry or we're doing this for revenge and we need to forgive them, blah, 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 blah. Um, in Ephesians 5.11, I'm going to read it to you. It says, for ye were sometimes darkness, <clears throat> but now ye are light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light, for the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness and righteousness and truth, proving what is acceptable unto the Lord. And have no fellowship with unfruitful works of darknesses, but rather reprove them, which means expose them. We're exposing the wolves dressed as sheep. Yes. That's what we're doing. Right. It says in there. So this is not because we're angry or because we want revenge. This is something that needs to be um, held accountable. These people, need, these places need to be shut down. Um, and we're helping these kids. This needs to be brought to light. So yeah, I just wanted to touch on that. Yeah, that's very good. I appreciate that. I mean, you know, some people think that my that my podcast is anti-God or anti-Christianity. Yes, and it's not, and, and I just, you know, wanted to kind yeah. of help spread that out there, you know, because yeah. people hear this and they think we're just bashing God, but it's not. Right, no. no. I, mean, I, I wouldn't be where I am now without God. Like, it is the only reason that I caught myself and gave myself a chance before I killed myself, you know? Like I had no will to live after I lost my mom and my son's grandmother. Um, and it took me two years to get into treatment, to give myself a chance, but it's with God and God alone that I'm here to tell my story now. You know, I feel like it's God that got us out of there. You know, it, it's yeah, definitely not anti-God here. Yeah. And you know, I, you know, and there's other religions and, and, and faiths and ways of life that I support as well. Yes. And, you know, and, and, and you, you know, if y'all, if, if anybody that goes on my TikTok channel will know that and see that I, I, I don't, I'm not a respecter of anybody's religion, you know, or, or I don't favor another religion over and over somebody else's. I don't, I don't go on, you know, I don't go on to a Satanist, uh, you know, uh, TikTok channel and go, well, I, 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 you know, Jesus loves you and I'll pray for you and everything. I don't do that to people. Right. Because right. it's their their way of life, it's their religion, it's, it's what they believe in and everything. As long as you, you know, are trying to do good unto the world and put a light out there and be positive and productive and not destructive, 
that's what I'm about. And, you know, like, uh, like people trying to exploit y'all and everything as well for money and everything. When, before I even hit record on my first episode, I was told from the get go from jump street, Jeremy, you will not have anybody advertise with you. They will not sponsor you because of your content and the subject that you talk about. And I was okay with that. This is not something for me to make money off of. I'm not here to make money off the trauma of other people. I'm here to, to share the stories of survivors to help protect. If I can help protect, save one kid, just one, this is, this is all worth it to me. The prices that I pay outside of this podcast and the things that I, that I go through, you know, privately, you know, it's worth it to me because I'm trying to save children and I'm trying to help kids. I'm trying to help teach people that these things do happen. And it's not just in some particular, you know, way One of life. singular incident. This, yeah, this, this is, is going across, you know, America every freaking day, you know, exactly. over 120,000 children a year get sent away to the trouble teen industry. Right. It's just issues, like, it's just like trafficking. People don't, yeah. People don't think trafficking happens in their area until it does. You know, it's yeah. the same. It's like the same thing. I mean, the, all these issues, they're all interconnected, interwoven into each other. And so, I mean, it's, it's, it, it, this is a lot bigger. This is just scratching the surface of a very dark and deep rabbit hole that people are going to go through. That's and been going on things, since the 50s, folks. The 1958 50s. with Synanon. Yes. Yeah. And so many people have been fighting for this over the years and everything like that. And I just, you know, like Barb, you know, Miss Barb, I love her to death because she has been fighting for this fight for decades now. Yes, she has. And I mean, just some, and so many more people are coming together into this fight and into this, into this battle and trying to help shut these places down and everything. And I got nothing but immense respect for all of y'all that have, that have come together and said, Hey, look, this is what happened to us. And, for anybody that still like have gotten to this point in the interview and still have any kind of questions, doubts, or reserves about the validity of, of what's going on, I'll present to you a question to the listeners. Is it more believable that these abuses have happened over thousands of different programs all over this country, that thousands of survivors have come forward, or do you actually really truly believe that thousands of these people have, have come together to conspire to go and just shit on all these places that, that, that they've been to because they were just, you know, because they just have a chip on their shoulder. There's not here. They're not, you know, they're not here to make money off of this. There's no money to be made off of this. They're trying to help protect kids from going through what they went through in their entire life. So, you, you know, I ask any listener, what's more believable then? Yeah. And, you know, they, then they can form their own, de- own decision on that one. But if they still believe that they still have any doubt that this, that, that this doesn't happen or this doesn't go on, then I, I don't know what else I can scream or say or Go do talk or, to or the say parents to of, you know, the kids who have passed away in the troubled teen industry. That's what I would say to that. Go talk to the yeah. parents of the children who died at the hands of staff for medical neglect. We've had four so far in 2022. Four. Yeah, the last one was, uh, what was her name? Taylor, Taylor uh, Goodridge in, Taylor from Goodridge. Diamond Academy. She was 17 yeah. years old, died from sepsis. Yeah, I mean, it was like five what, days. 
Yeah, and that's that breaks my heart because just knowing how I felt, um, you know, being there so hopeless feels like you're never going to be able to leave. How are we going to get through this? So, like, just hopeless, completely hopeless. Like, the just days seem to fade and they all come together. Yeah. You don't know what time, date, years. I didn't even know who the freaking president was. <laughs> right. You know? It's like, yeah. You don't know what's going on in the world and you're stuck there and you feel so alone, even though you have other people around you, you know, it's, you're just so fearful and so hopeless and scared. I could only imagine how she felt. Yeah. Like that breaks my heart. Yeah. Yeah. Man. You know, Brittany, I want to tell you flat out. um, Thank you for coming on to this podcast though. Thank you yeah, for thank you both for having me. Yeah, and Sabrina, immensely big thankful. Uh, a big thank, thank you to you as well for wanting to co-host with me on these on these episodes and to be there for these ladies and anybody that wants that's coming from the trouble teen industry and everything. And I mean, very much a big help. Uh, you know, I didn't go through any of these programs, so there's questions that I didn't know to ask, and I'm grateful that you want to help me with this on this journey as well and help help these survivors you know in their healing process because i do believe that sharing these stories can help heal i'm not saying it's a cure-all yes. but it's a good start you know it is a good and, start it is and, and Brittany, i can't wait to see more about your about your journey uh, you know with, with sober living and everything like that with your sobriety and the things you're going to do afterwards you know whether you go and do big and great wonderful things or whether you just have a good quiet life i I just you know in a peaceful life i just i just can't wait to see more of that from you you deserve to live the rest of your life in peace yeah and i hope that by sharing your story and that you know one day this is gonna and it may not be our generation it may be our kids um that this gets national attention and laws are actually place and not just look good on paper you gotta freaking enforce this shit or it's not gonna work and listen right. to survivors and what didn't work and what needs to work. We're the pros, you know, we right. know and yep. something yeah. changes and, and, and kids actually get the help they need and parents in these places are getting, uh, get exposed and, you know, this shit stops. Um, and this is how we do it is by starting here, by sharing our stories. Exactly. Like my son now, he will be 15 in May and I can't imagine sending him away Oh, me either with my children. Right. It, I mean, he knows, um, he knows what went on. You know, he had heard me and my mother and my sisters talk about it before. And when the 2020 episode came out and stuff. And so he knows, and I like, I couldn't imagine, you know, I just still feel like he's just my baby. Like I just, I mean, um, I forgave my mom a long time ago because she did not know what she was sending me into. She just knew that I was hard to handle and she thought it would be best for me. So it's, it took a while, you know, but we had that conversation. She was a great mom, you know, but nobody's perfect. Parents aren't given a handbook. I know, you know, personally. So, um, you know, it's just parents really don't know what they're getting their kids or themselves into. And then all the repercussions it brings, you know, with mental health and just, you know, everything that comes along with it you know like my hope is honestly to um, eventually have a sober home for women traumatized women you know and um you know i just want to do good i just want to put good out in the world Um, i love that for you i hope that happens i'm rooting for you 
Thank you. I'm rooting for you as well. I just, I love you to death and just everything that you're trying to do and bring an awareness and just, you know, helping even with this, you know, like just being there. Thank it means you. a lot. You're welcome. Thank you, Brittany. Thank you, Sabrina. I appreciate y'all being on ladies. And I think, uh, I think we shared a good bit here today. I just want to yeah. let y'all know that y'all go in peace, that y'all be safe, that you be blessed. And I love each and every single one of you. And I believe y'all. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank and, you so uh, much. And, and, and the words of uh, Liz Ionelli, I see you, Survivor. Oh, I love that. Me too. Y'all, y'all have a good evening. I appreciate it, y'all coming on today. And uh, let's see what happens in the future, all right? All right. All right. Thank you. Bye, y'all. Thank you. Bye. Bye-bye. So that was my interview with Brittany and co-hosted with Sabrina. Curious to know what y'all think about it. Y'all ever want to tell me what you think about the episodes that I do? You can reach me on TikTok at a Man Apart Podcast or on the Facebook group, a Man Apart Podcast. Real easy to find me, y'all. Hopefully, these interviews are starting to get on the Apple and Google Podcast as well. I saw that a few of mine have gotten on there. And uh, if anybody has listening on Apple, reach out to me and let me know. Send me a screenshot. Do something. Y'all, if y'all haven't gotten on Spotify or Apple or Google and left a review, please do. I don't care if it's a five-star or one-star. Leave a review. Be honest. Let us know how we're doing. Let the message get spread across through the algorithm. It does help. I appreciate it. I appreciate every like. I appreciate every share. I appreciate people talking about the podcast now. People are reaching out to me. More and more interviews are going to be getting done soon as well. It's just, I didn't think I'd make it all the way up to 37 episodes so far. But I did. Sometimes all you got to do is just keep making a another push, you know, another take another step forward. That's all you can do. It astounds me and baffles me, this world that I've flung myself into with the troubled teen industry, with the world of abuse, the survivors. I mean, it's... I didn't know this kind of pain was around in our world for so long. I mean, TTI has been around longer than I've been alive, for sure, by decades. I, like I say, I'm just I'm stunned, I'm speechless, I'm baffled. But I'm hoping that these stories can open your eyes up and realize that these aren't just these one-off instances where... You know, these kids were just pissed off and mad and had a chip on their shoulder. These are different people from different time periods as well that went through things and went to these places for a whole slew and litany of different reasons. Most of them, I think, were just bullshit reasons to send a kid to these type of places. You go back and listen to the Escape the TTI episode I did, my interview with Miss Kina. I mean, hell, she was sent there because... She was pregnant because her brother raped her. 
you know, some of these kids got sent there because of, of situations like that. Some of them kids got sent there because they backtalked their mama and daddy too much. Some of these kids got sent there because, you know, they were smoking pot or some kids got sent there because they did some heinous shit. I'm not going to lie. There is accountability. But at the same time, though, no matter what reason they got sent there for, they never got the help or the treatment that they needed to heal from what was causing them to have those behaviors, right? They never got true healing. They were told they were going to come out as better children, and instead they came out with traumas and PTSD and scars that they carry with them for the rest of their lives, nightmares that they'll have for the rest of their lives. Y'all can say what you want. I believe them. Nobody else believed them. Then all these people started finding each other on the internet, on social media, and realized what they went through wasn't something crazy. It actually happened. It was actually real. These are real stories. These were somebody's children. These were children at one point. They were not grown adults when they went through this. They were kids, y'all. Kids. Teenagers. And a grown man like William Knott putting his boot and stomping a 15-year-old girl and throwing her into a pond and trying to drown her. I mean... These were the people that were entrusted to care for these kids, to make them better children. And that was their that was their their decision. That was their choice. That was what they decided to go with. Let's drown them. Let's beat the shit out of them and drown them. On top of the other things they did to these kids. And this was just one place out of many. Y'all, these places were all over. They're still all over. And there is no were. They still function today. It's because they operate right underneath our noses. Maybe if I tell enough of these stories, y'all would wake up. Understand what these kids went through. Because there's kids going through it right now. If you don't believe me, hell, at the time it's recording, about maybe three weeks ago, Taylor Goodridge, alright? Remember that name, Taylor Goodridge, at the Diamond Ranch out in Texas, I believe died, fell out and died. I think it was because of sepsis because they refused to give her medical treatment. Kids die from this place. Kids go missing. Okay? They cover it up. They try not to tell nobody. It happens. Kids get raped in these places too. By the adults that were trusted to, to protect them. That were trusted by these parents to make sure that they were going to come out better. Yeah, it happens. Some of these individuals who are my age or even older. Still not ready to come out with some of those stories. But I've heard of them. And I believe them. So all I can tell y'all. Is that I see these survivors. And I love them. And I believe them. And I hope you do too. Y'all that's it for the day. Or for this episode I should say. 
it'll be dropped on a Friday, which hopefully you're listening to it on Friday. If not, I don't care what day of the week you're listening to it on. I don't care if you listen to it a month from after it's dropped, as long as you heard the story. And now you know about the troubled teen industry. And there's more stories to come. The only reason I don't have 15 or 20 of these stories on the podcast is because of scheduling issues. That's it. These people, I got people that want to share the stories. And we're going to share them. Their voices will be heard on this platform. Just like any other survivor's voice will be heard on this platform. Because I came here to do two things with this podcast. To protect children from pedophiles and to share survivor stories. And damn it, that's what I'm going to do. Well, look, I love y'all. Protect children, even if they're not your own. Goodbye. Peace.